electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the strong day for stocks after bank earnings and a key read on inflation come in better than expected. So what does it mean for your money and all those correction calls? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets. It is the best gain for the S&P in about three months, one and a half percent. You got the Dow Jones Industrial Average up that same amount, just about 500 points, we'll call it. NASDAQ's good. Russell 2000, one and a third percent. The yield on the 10-year coming down. And that's uh, leading to that nice gain on the NASDAQ today. 151 is where it currently sits. Pete? I come to you. I, I guess we revisit that same question. Are these fears overblown? Look at what earnings have done so far. Uh, the inflation read is better than yeah. expected. The yield on the 10-year at 151. Taiwan Semi, did it just save the day for that chip trade we've been talking about? How do you feel, Pete? <laughs> uh, I'm feeling pretty good, especially when I look over at what's going on with volatility itself, Scott. Because when we look at it the full year and we look back and we look at where volatility has been and how many times we've been over 20, not that often in the last few months. And when we get there, we, we have a very difficult time sustaining anything over 20. Here we are today back in the 17s. Yesterday we closed in the 18s. It gives you a little bit of an idea that there was some sniffing out of what's going on into earnings season. I think people understood exactly what a lot of what would happen in terms of the banks. We obviously got that snapshot yesterday from J.P. Morgan. We look at the banks today. Investment banking, extremely strong. A lot of different numbers out there that have absolutely been extraordinary numbers. But I think when you look within the financials themselves, you see a lot of why some of those names are moving a little bit more than others in terms of what they do, in terms of what are they priced at, pricing versus book. I think that's really important in terms of the start of earnings season. We're just at the start, though. So there's plenty of different things that can happen throughout the rest of earnings season as we get a little deeper, Scott, where we might get a little bit more nervousness if we start to hear things going forward. I didn't expect to hear anything negative from the banks. We pretty much have not heard that. But I think going forward, there's a lot of different parts of the economy that are probably still worried about supply chain. When's that going to loosen up? We'll hear more about that as we get deeper into that. I'm not overly worried about it because I think so much of this has been priced in over the last month or so, two months, where people have, have, have absolutely looked at this and said, okay, we all understand. Yes, it's supply chain. It's something that everybody's searching on Google and everything else, trying to figure out this whole process. And when is it going to start to loosen up? And obviously with the 24-7 from President Biden, I think things will start to loosen up a little bit quicker than probably expected. How about this? The S&P is the, the highest right now since March 26th. Uh, and Farmer Jim, Mr. All-In, Boy, you I know, see that smile? Look at that smile from Farmer Jim today. Boy, is he feeling good. There's something for everybody today, Jim. Whether you were worried about inflation, you got your better read. Whether you're worried about rates going up, you got a better read. Whether you're worried about earnings coming in, eh, whatever, got a better read. 
You're worried about that chip trade that Jonathan Krinsky said, no time to buy. You got a good read there, too. No wonder you have a well, smile on your face. And maybe I'll start on the last point. Jonathan Krinsky, I have a ton of respect for him. Um, I think he would admit his outlook is relatively short. Mine is long term. I'm not worried about the next two weeks or the next two months. I'm looking out into the next 12 months plus. And what I'm seeing is a lot of what Pete just said. The market has priced in the supply chain bottlenecks. It's priced in where inflation is. It's priced in congressional dysfunction. And, you know, when you label me Mr. All In, you know I embrace the label because I think where we have to be looking right now is what happens when those issues start to clear? What happens as the number of ships outside of Los Angeles declines, as it already is? What happens if and when uh, Congress gets its act together on the reconciliation bill, which uh, Nancy Pelosi says end of this month? Who knows? Who knows? But what if you get that in the rearview mirror? You're going to worry about the Fed taper? I'm not. I don't think you are either, Scott. I'm not calling you out. My point being is that the Fed is going to be buying bonds and putting cash into the financial system for at least the next nine months. There are four, far more tailwinds than there are headwinds. So the hand wring that we've been doing for the last six, eight weeks about is there a correction unfolding or not is not something that I ever pay attention to. I'm a long-term investor, and I love what I'm seeing from the cyclicals right now as Delta has peaked. It has peaked. The numbers clearly show it. People are getting out. That means they're uh, enjoying services. They're traveling. It also means they're getting back to work in the ports, in the semiconductor plants. All of this is incredibly positive for profits in the stock market. I mean, it's hard not to, Shannon, like everything you see everywhere. I pulled up Microsoft just now to see what was going on there. Stock's only four bucks off of its 52-week high, 301. A pull up Apple, stock we've been paying a lot of attention to. Remember, it dipped below 140, 143 and 30 right now, trying to move back even closer towards its 52-week high as those earnings approach there. Even a Facebook, which has been so much under the gun, that stock's up one and a third percent today. I mean, I could go to so many different areas, Shannon. Does today solve a lot of the big problems that we've been worried about, or, or is it, are we trying to make too much of one day? Well, I just want to go back to a point that Pete just made. We weren't expecting financial earnings to indicate some of these inflationary pressures that have really weighed on the markets over the last couple of months. If you think about it, why would we, they be worried about input costs rising and some of these supply chain disruptions? You know, so certainly we're starting off on the best foot we could possibly be starting off on from an earnings season perspective, given where we are in the economic rebound. With that said, I think one of the things that we need to take a step back and, and realize is that some of these supply chain disruptions many of them, frankly, are going to ease over the course of the next six to 12 months. What's important as you look over the next couple of weeks of earnings is thinking about how company management is managing that supply chain. Where are they building up inventories? Are they as uh, sure about the unclear demand that's going to come over the course of the next year or so? So I think as we go through earnings season, it's not just going to be about, you know, some of the Delta concerns easing, potential concerns about inflation, but how is company management uh, setting themselves up for a post-pandemic world so they don't have things like inventory mismatches and they haven't uh, incorrectly ordered as they're waiting for these supply chain disruptions to be mitigated. So I'm really looking forward to industrial earnings in particular to give us some sense of how the economy can bounce back and how company management has managed through this process of these higher input prices. Inflation was better than expected today, Scott, but it was still pretty high, and we're going to see that pass through over the course of the next couple of 
yeah. Well, we know it's going to be high. The question is we need it to mitigate at some point. Um, a lot of talk, obviously, about supply chains, Josh, and the impact that it's going to uh, ultimately have. To Shannon's point, UBS is basically out today saying it's not going to derail the recovery. There's still risk on equities. J.P. Morgan says, for all intents and purposes, the same thing. Uh, while the asset repricing due to liquidity effects may be largely behind us, persistent above-trend growth could still be supportive for equities and credit going forward via stronger earnings. So a lot of calls over the last couple of weeks, Josh, that stocks need to pull back, that they're going to pull back. Maybe we need to just chill out. Well, look, I'm the person that comes on when the, market, when the Dow is down 600 points and tells you don't make too much out of this. Don't like tell yourself a whole story where this is the new status quo. So it would be very hypocritical if I would come on on a day like today where everything is bright green and act like this is super important. It, you know, so I, I want to like maybe um, just like modulate my my uh, enthusiasm, although I'm very excited. I'm long. You guys know I'm bull. Uh, but what is really constructive, I think, my opinion, is that a lot of the hardest hit sectors are bouncing very aggressively here uh, with this move higher. It's not just the 100 largest, you know, large cap growth names. Like, the ARC complex is bouncing, looking much better the last few days. I don't know if that downtrend is broken, but some of these stocks are making big moves. Industrials and materials are bouncing. They've been lagging now for months. As much as we've been telling this cyclical story, they have not been great stocks. I do think the transport's bottomed. Coming out of a base right now, hard bounce in the utilities and REITs. Um, I'm watching names like Unity and Snowflake, the, the Nosebleed Valuation Club. These stocks are ripping. Uh, rates in the dollar are pulling back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then, like, you've had lagging sectors, healthcare, Russell 2000. Look at the bounces in, this, in these groups. So that, to me, is very constructive action. Uh, and, you know, it's really important that we just keep in mind... All these stories about supply chains and ships not being able to come to port. Everybody is aware. Like, it's not, it's not actionable. It's front page news all over the country. You have to believe that a lot of that stuff is in these stocks. And to Jim's point, to Shannon's point, the, 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 the risk is to the upside as those situations ameliorate. Right? It's, it's, it's not a sudden shock that there are cost pressures and supply chain issues. So the shock will be so many people think that that's going to be a permanent situation, and then that stuff starts to melt away, similar to uh, uh, Delta starting to fade. So that's where I am. That's where I'm going to be. I hope people are with me and, uh, and enjoying a day like today. I mean, does anybody feel like you look at some of the big winners in the financials and the energy stocks over the last couple of months, and they've been the best groups? Obviously, energy has, has led the way um, by far by leaps and bounds. They might look at those gains and say, okay, maybe now is the time to actually take some profits. And you look at no what's way. happening in the 10-year, and you look at what's happening with that inflation read today and say, mm, okay, maybe growth is going to have some legs, and it's time to go more into those stocks because of the dynamics that, that are happening. What's that? Can I take that answer? Yes, you can, Farmer Jim. Okay, thank you, brother. Um, first off, look, there's a lot in what you just said. Let's start with the energy and let's call these stocks what they are. They're rentals. You don't own these forever. However, for the next six months, 
you're, all you're going to be hearing about is supply demand imbalances and fossil fuels. There's just no way to solve that in a near term process. And that means the profits and the cash flows are going to be higher than expected. It also means that right now sentiment, very important, is turning on these stocks. After years and years of sentiment being awful, and all you need to do is look at a 10-year chart of the XLE to see that. So you've got cash flows, profits picking up. You've got sentiment picking up. Now just isn't the time, although your question is right, because these are rentals, but now is not the time to terminate your lease. As far as the financials, and I'm glad you brought this up because a lot of what's going on today, and I want to channel Josh, he's saying, he's saying what Frankie, said to, Frankie Goes to Hollywood said in the 80s, relax. Um, what the financials, what the, what the hyper growth stocks are doing today is they're reacting to the 10 year. The 10 year was 160 a week ago, it's 150 today. We know that kind of, that kind of moderates uh, uh, the financial rally, which it has, and it and it gives a little bit of lifeblood to the hyper growth stocks, which it has. A little bit. But look, I'll make a call here. I think the 10-year yield is going to slowly go up, particularly as the Fed tapers, slowly go up. And that means you want to be in financials and, and you want to buy the dips on the hyper growth, but you don't want to buy you don't want to buy Twilio or Salesforce today. You want interest rates to rise a little bit, knock them down, and then add to those positions. Hey Pete, you you have Energy is the, the largest amount of exposure, right? And, and Jim yep. just yep. said you can't own these stocks for the long term. Did you take issue with his right. these are just rentals comment? Um, I don't take issue at all. As a matter of fact, when I look at the positions that I have, the only ones where I'm in stock right now are Kinder Morgan and Chevron. Everything else is options, Scott. And I'd far rather be in these options because what we're seeing is the velocity of these moves within those names, whether it's Diamondback or Apache or formerly Apache, APA, or, or any of these names, Transocean. When you look down through that whole area of energy, it has been absolutely explosive to the upside, uh, no pun intended, and I don't think it's over. And as a matter of fact, the moves that we're getting there, Scott, have been absolutely extraordinary. I think they'll continue to be extraordinary. I said this a few weeks ago. I still think we're on the path to $100 oil, maybe by the end of the year. And with that, I think you're going to get these quote-unquote rentals, and I'm calling them rentals because I'm in the options, less than, than I am in the stock. But this is by far the largest sector where I have uh, my exposure right now, and I'll continue to be. I add every single day it seems like i might sell one or two of my different options in the in the energies patch but then i'll add three or four more so that's been what we've been seeing day after day after day i added more of bp this week i added more of apache this week i've been adding throughout the week um, as we've gotten into this week and it just seems like it's never ending and obviously we got to 80 we hit 82 the other day we pulled back 81 i still think the path is going towards 100 Maybe Shannon Tomley's going to get that everything rally that he's been talking about. It just was a little bit delayed because if, in, the, in the current environment you stay in, if you think, OK, Delta's done, as Jim says, it's the biggest story that 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 we Delta's peaked, that you could have a, a run in cyclicals. And if rates behave and inflation behaves, you could have that next leg pickup in tech as well. Is Tom Lee poised to get his everything rally between now and the end of the year? We're, we're not that far away. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that because uh, I'm certainly positioned for tech to uh, to gain some momentum here. Um, but I actually think it's going to be a little bit of back and forth as we go through this earnings season, Scott. I, I think that there's still, to Jim's point, I think that rates are going to continue to move higher. Um, it's all about the pace. And I think that, you know, we're going to get these intermittent pops in the NASDAQ that are going to be based on the fact that we're seeing rates move slightly lower. Uh, I still continue to think about, you know, from a long-term perspective, you know, there's going to be opportunities here to add to, you know, Salesforce, for instance, and be able to hold that on a long-term basis. But I do think that we're going to continue to see um, some oscillation on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis, as, you know, investors look at the, you know, the rate situation and think about where does that end up and when is the time to start adding. I actually disagree with Pete and Jim. I think that trimming some of your your energy exposure here probably makes some sense. Um, I'm hearing cries for, for oil prices. It reminds me of the Goldman Sachs $200 barrel and <laughs> for oil back in 2006. And I feel like we're going to start to see oil prices plateau. There's a lot of faith being put in OPEC first right now. So I want Jim to respond because the other Jim, as in Kramer, thinks that energy's peaked. So if, if oil prices have peaked, you take that into consideration with what Shannon just said. What's the rebuttal? Why, why, why wouldn't you take some profits right here? Well, first off, you got to give good credence to what Shannon said. Um, let's start with OPEC Plus, because part of this thesis is on them continuing to act rationally. So far, they have, right? They haven't increased their quotas above what production uh, they've projected. That could change. But right now, I mean, for the last two years, they've shown some rationality here. And I'm going to follow that trend. Uh, I'm also going to follow the trend that while the economy reopens, that means more people are traveling by air and we're starting to see that tick up. Uh, More people are traveling by car. We're seeing that pick up. Freight is getting shipped, particularly as the uh, ports unclog, which they're in the early stages of. So I don't want to just shoot at what Shannon's saying. She has a thesis. I have a thesis. I'm more comfortable with mine. I'm more comfortable staying with it. I don't think you're going to $200 a barrel in oil, but I don't think you need actually to go much higher than here. I think if you just plateau here, these companies with their cash flows and their profits are going to look very nice. And again, combine that with investor sentiment. I'm going to end on this point. Capital flows into the cyclicals, including energies, went very dull for the last six months or so. With the performance that you're seeing right now, you should expect to see fund flows going into these cyclical sectors, including and being led by energy, which is going to uh, uh, propel the trade further. Uh, I want to I want to hit, hit the, the chips um, because we discussed at length yesterday. Josh, you know, we, we had Jonathan Krinsky on who made the point that, you know, with his new note, no time to buy. Uh, that these were in some ominous, you know, technical territories, the SMH and the SOX and, and, and the like, and that if it broke down further, that could be the thing that broke the S&P and caused it to go down further. Now I wonder, did Taiwan Semi just save the day? Um, because they post their record quarterly profit. Their outlook was, was strong as well. And it could not have Josh come at a better time for this space. And you could make the argument for the overall market. Okay. So I agree. I agree with that premise. Okay. That's all you've got? Well, you didn't ask me a question. Well, I sort of led into you for the obvious way to, to, to come off of that. So I, need to, I needed to make it well, more. I didn't, so I didn't see. I didn't see. I all right. My clear. bad. I wasn't on yesterday. I didn't. 
my, my bad. I didn't see Krinsky's uh, segment yesterday, so I'm not 100% sure of what he was saying. But my guess is that he's talking about a much different time frame than most of the people who are, like, invested in, in the semis. There probably was an area where a technical breakdown looked imminent. But that's the thing with technical analysis, right? Like, yesterday's lines on the charts are not the same as today's. And a lot of times you have to change your narrative based on price action. It's, it's not easy to do. So if that's what he was saying, then he could have been right. And maybe today he's reversing himself. I well, don't really know. I'm talking about it. In, in other words, if you look at the action in the semis of late, the SMH yeah. over, the, over one month. TSM's important. What's that? Yeah. I'm a, uh, Scott, I'm agreeing with you. I'm Hold agreeing on, with I haven't your asked you a question because I haven't, I haven't asked you the question yet. <laughs> you need it in a que- form of a question. I'm going to ask you a question. Just bear with me. I promise. <laughs> we tried this once. It didn't work. All right. The, S- <laughs> the SMH is down 6% in one month. Taiwan Semi yeah. was down 9. Yeah. Qualcomm was down 9.5. NXP, which a lot of people on this show love, was down 10.5. Mm. I mean, at some point, you had to get a little worried, Josh, didn't you, question, about where the semis were heading? So I, I, I guess I don't have a ton of direct exposure there. And the, the semi exposure I have was Nvidia. acting much better Nvidia. than some of the names that you yeah. cited. NVIDIA yeah. wasn't down as yeah, much. So, I mean, guy, this, you know where the stock started the year? It was like it was like 140. It's no, 216. I like I can I can tolerate I can tolerate some. It doesn't have to make a new high every single day. But the the big picture, uh, Scott, is I think we have replaced transports and industrials with semiconductors as our primary stock market based gauge for what people in the markets believe to be the the global economic situation. Like these are the new transports. Um, I've been saying that for probably three or four years now. So, yeah, you don't want to see this group break down. I would argue it's more meaningful than steel stocks, quite frankly, or, or copper stocks. But the good news, if we got a kick save from Taiwan, and Taiwan Semi obviously is important because their tentacles are in pretty much every process and procedure uh, having to do with semis, mm-hmm. then yes, to answer your question, I think that is, a, I think that is notable uh, and maybe the timing was, was ideal from a technical perspective. You could be exactly right about that. Okay. All right. We're making progress. Um, let's bring in Steve Weiss. He's called in today. Uh, we asked him I'm to. I'm new to the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, we learn as we go. That's the way we, we roll here. Ten years in. That's how we do it. Uh, Steve Weiss added to one of his chip names. He alerted us to and all of you, I think, on Twitter as well. Weiss, you there? I'm here. I'm here. Was that uh, a question? So it was. We talked about the pain that you had been experiencing in Skyworks and Corvo. And I know you were watching those closely. You thought maybe they could go down further before you would have a chance to add to those positions. Today, you didn't wait for Teradyne, which is 25 percent off of its 52-week high. It is on my hot list of stocks that have pulled back a, a fair amount. Why would you add to it today? Did, did Taiwan Semi save the day for, for a whole bunch of different names? No, it wasn't Taiwan Semi. I actually uh, have been looking at Taiwan Semi and, and regret not adding to it and had too low a limit to add after the report today because I thought it would sell off. Look, semis are up today for a few reasons. Uh, one is the bond auctions we've had this week, the 30-year and the 10-year, were just fantastic auctions. So, so 
Bonds have come down. That means risk assets are going up. Bond yields have come down. That's one reason. Digitimes is coming out with a story tomorrow in the States. They'll say that Apple suppliers have denied that they're being cut back. So you have that combination of events and then add, yes, Taiwan semi moved up. But that's not why I added. Here's why I added. Okay. Like, I, was, I was wondering why we were going to get to this point. Yeah. Can you give us right. the payoff? I'll give you the payoff. So I had a conversation, and just be patient five seconds here, with GXO yesterday. And GXO is increasing their automation by 40% year over year. They're reducing their training of employees from 10 days to two days, and they're doing it through robotics. Teradyne has a robotics and automation arm uh, division, and Goldman had to call with them last week, and it's growing by like 57 60% a year. So when you put that together with what I had said yesterday, that semis are no longer sickly dependent upon PCs and base technology instruments that they're going to continue to grow through. So testing, whether or not there's a shortage in producing semis or not, you still need the testing equipment, both for your current devices and networks, as well as the ones that companies are introducing. Mm -hmm. That's why I bought Taiwan. I understand. It's extraordinarily cheap. I understand. But look, we we both know that if... I'm sorry, I bought Teradyne. Yeah, Teradyne. But we both know that if Taiwan Semi would have laid an egg and the sector would have rolled further today, I'm not sure you would have felt comfortable enough to buy more. Correct me if I'm wrong. So maybe it wasn't a direct catalyst for you to buy more shares of Teradyne. I find it hard to imagine that it didn't play any kind of role in your psyche about where you think these stocks could head? Uh, you know, actually, it, it, it played such a small role because I added Teradyne yesterday. Oh, you did? Okay. After my call with GXO. Okay. I added a little more this morning. Okay. Pre-market, actually, before the market opened. Uh, but my thesis is still the same. I'm still waiting for Skyworks and, and Corvo and the others to report. This is one day we're seeing and I'm not confident the market is going to hold these gains in semis. We don't get to earnings reports of meaning in terms of the industrial complex, et cetera, until next week. We've got the banks now. So, look, if I'm wrong, I'll pay up gladly. If I'm right, I'll pay, pay lower, which I won't be so happy about because of my existing positions. I got you. Thanks for calling in, Weiss. I appreciate it. Anytime you've got a trade uh, update, we want to hear from you. That's Steve Weiss. Uh, Jimmy Labenthal, last uh, Mr. All-In. I haven't called you by your full name in so long, I almost forgot what it was. Qualcomm. (laughs) First off, by the way, great show yesterday. uh, uh, Ragging on Steve about FedEx made my day. Now, listen, I'll be full of integrity and I'll own up that Qualcomm (laughs) has been a dog this year and it's 23% off of its high. But to the point that Josh and I were making about Jonathan Krinsky, friend of the show, we love him, right? He's a short-term guy. When I look at the chart the way he looks at the chart, I would say one of two things is going to happen to Qualcomm based on that chart. Either there's some massive lawsuit from Apple or China coming out that's going to impact its business for the next two years, or the chart is wrong and the company is going to use all this excess cash flow to buy back shares. Lo and behold, yesterday or two days ago, what do they do? They buy back shares. And the $10 billion, which is about 8% of the market cap. Here's my point. Here's my point. Jonathan Krinsky can be right, but the fundamentalists look at the chart and say, what happens next? If we're right, we see that cash flow come in. I like being a fundamentalist. I like being a long-term okay. investor. doesn't mean Krinsky's wrong. It cool. means there's two ways of looking at Got it. Got you. I'm sorry to cut you off. I want to get a quickie from Pete, though. Pete, give me 20 seconds on why you bought SMH calls. 
Well, I didn't buy SMH calls. I bought NVIDIA calls AMD. as well as AMD in the My last bad. two days. My bad. And, AMD. Yes. AMD. So, so, no problem. So, AMD, they came out and they started buying a huge sum of calls yesterday. They bought 13,000 calls yesterday. They bought 30,000 more calls today. And they, have, they actually backed that up with another 15,000 calls in October. So, they're very aggressively positioning there, along with NVIDIA, by the way, where they had a huge buyer of next week's expiring 215 call, Scott, when the stock was trading 213. These are all already moving enough to maybe start trimming and maybe taking some a little bit off. But I'm, I'm holding on for right now. But by the end of the day, I might be out of some of these trades already because they're moving so fast. All right. And they, you've got to be disciplined in a market like this. It is very, very short term. And these options are very, very short term. I got to bounce. We'll come back with another Pete buy. Yep. He's adding to a position. Josh Brown has a new reveal as well. We'll talk about it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. A prominent South Carolina lawyer has been charged with stealing insurance money meant for the sons of his late housekeeper who died at his home. Alex Murdoch was arrested at a drug rehab facility where his lawyers say he has spent the last six weeks. Prosecutors say that Murdoch received more than $4 million from insurers, but only told his housekeeper's sons about an eighth of that sum and never gave them any of it. And on the news, more on this bizarre case, including new comments from the man Murdoch allegedly asked to kill him. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. In Taiwan, the death toll from a massive building fire has risen. At least 46 people have died. Another another 41 have been injured. Someone is to say that they heard an explosion shortly before the fire erupted, but still no official cause. And a new report says that the American bumblebee has disappeared from eight states and is in danger of extinction. Report says that bumblebee populations have dropped 89% over the last two decades. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back All to right, you. Rahel, appreciate it very much. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, the investment committee is making some moves. Josh Brown, I said you had a big reveal, and it is Coinbase. <gasps> Why'd you add that? Yeah, I bought some Coinbase. Uh, it's a trade, it's not an investment. That could change, but I have a pretty well defined uh, uh, sell stop limit on this in, in case it, it doesn't go the way I like it. But I added it this morning to my portfolio. Uh, one of my highest conviction ideas is that 
uh, over the next 12 to 18 months, probably another trillion or so comes into uh, digital assets. And the battleships on uh, Wall Street, they turn very slowly, but once they turn, they don't back up. So I don't even think volatility would stop what's coming. And I spend most of my days, Judge, talking with uh, people who are trying to figure out how to do this for family offices, hedge funds, institutions, wealth management, asset management, on and on and on. And what I keep coming back to is that Genesis, which is not public, uh, uh, excuse me, Gemini, which is not public, and Coinbase are going to be two of, if not the two largest uh, beneficiaries of all of this money coming into the space. So I do think Coinbase directionally is a bet on higher prices for Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, on and on and on. Uh, I understand that they're an exchange, they're a brokerage, so it's a two-way market. But in truth, the higher these things go, the more adoption there will be. So you have 68 million uh, verified users on the Coinbase platform. Does anyone want to bet they don't get to 100 million? Uh, you got about 180 billion in assets there. Uh, 462 billion every quarter in trading volume. 10,000 institutions are already working with them on custody. 160,000 ecosystem partners. They're in 100 countries. I think they have enough of a head start that the market cap, which is large, is justified. People understand uh, what their place in this ecosystem will be in one year, in five years, in 10 years. So uh, I like it technically. I hope it continues to, to move higher off of those lows. If it violates, I'll get out and reassess, but that's what I'm doing. Well, let me, let me ask you this, um, because you make about as compelling a case as I've heard anybody make for a reason to own Coinbase. Um, but yet I was, a, I, was a, still, I was a stockbroker for 10 years. I'm very good at, at pitching stocks. I know you are. You're a good talker. Um, <laughs> but yet you still talk about it as a trade, not an investment. What I just heard you say was a case for a longer term yeah. play. Why the at least in the back of your mind concern that mm, maybe it's not going to work perfectly here? That's Two what I reasons. Heard. I'm on a tightrope. Uh, yeah. I'm on a tightrope from a valuation perspective. I have no margin of safety here, which is why I'm working with a stop. And this is going to be very volatile. But the bigger reason is that there's still enough regulatory uncertainty that there could be some sort of a bombshell that substantially sets this story back. I personally don't think that that will happen, um, but I, I acknowledge that there is a probability there. A lot of people think that trading and investing is about being right. It's not. George Soros puts it best. It's about how much do you make when you're right and how much do you lose when you're wrong? Because inevitably you will be. So, look, this is a company that's under regulatory scrutiny. So is every company in this space. The main reason, though, is a positive reason. It's because these companies are starting to attach themselves to the system, the traditional finance system, the institutions, the regulators. Um, the, the, the too big to fail banks are here. Like everybody is now um, coalescing around digital assets. And that introduces a lot more of a spotlight and a lot more political uh, risk. And any day we could wake up and there could be a substantial hack or a new law passed mm -hmm. or, or, mm -hmm. or something proposed. So I just I want to like be rational in my approach here. Um, I'm long I'm long Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana as it is like I don't want to say physical, but I'm long the actual protocols. Uh, but this is just another way to add to that bet 
It's high risk, but I think it could be high reward, and I know where my stops are. I got you. You're not the only one making a compelling uh, case for it on this program either over the last many months. Um, Bryn, if we recall, uh, had added Coinbase a while ago. Brenda had made the case for it uh, as well. So it's an interesting move. They're lower than I am, I think. Yeah, they are. They are for sure. Um, But that's all good. Pete, I wanted to spend a little more time. And they're better uh, looking. I wanted to spend a little more time on that. So forgive me, but we'll take a break. We'll come back. I'm going to get to Pete's new buy as well. Pete's got unusual activity on top of that as well. We'll be right back. Assets focused on sustainable equity funds have jumped 40% this year, reaching $1.3 trillion globally, according to Wall Street research firm RBC. The number of new sustainable fund launches has grown every year since 2015 and are on pace for another record this year. ETFs, including MSCI ESG indexes, are among the most popular benchmark for passively managed sustainable funds. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Pete, big news. You're adding to Target. Didn't realize you liked that one. I am. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what, Scott? This is a stock that actually got up to 267, then started to pull back. And it really was in almost a free fall for a moment or two where it got all the way down into the 228 or something like that. I was watching it very closely. Yesterday, we had some call activity in there. It made me prompt to look at it one more time. At 232 is where they were buying the calls. I said, you know what, I'm just going to add to my stock. So I decided to add to my stock. I like the diversity of the supply chain. It's much different than many of the other companies, not as reliant just on China. I think they've done so many things right. I've been looking for that move, and it's starting already. And I love the move that we're already following up with today. But I think this is just the beginning. Look at where the P.E. is right now on Target and compare that to Walmart or Costco or any of the other big box stores. It's still the least expensive of those group of of that group. So for that reason, I thought it was a great opportunity to jump in there and grab some shares. Just real quick, too. You bought more TJX calls, too. I did. I I like what we've seen there. We've seen a lot of huge call buying. The stock has literally been bashed all the way down to the very absolute lows of the year. And I think that creates an opportunity. They have issues themselves. They're 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 in terms of supply. They're not getting the supply because those those in front of them where they usually get it are actually not getting enough supply. So this is a whole chain that's going. And TJX is unfortunately at the bottom end of this thing. But I think they're going about to about to start to come out of this as well. It's gotten really, really cheap. I think this is a good opportunity for TJX. All right. Good stuff. But by the way, that's not Pete's unusual activity. Thanks. He's going to be back um, with that. Hey, nope. Shan. UNH. Whoa, what a nice day, right? For United Health. Uh, the stock did hit a new 52 week high earlier at 433. It's pulled about 11 bucks off of that. It's still up, though, 5% on the back of that earnings report. 
Yeah, it was a great report. They raised guidance. They announced that they had 320,000 uh, more uh, commercial ads this quarter, which is what we were looking for as a backdoor reopening play with, you know, unemployment coming down. Um, and they continue to return a lot of capital to shareholders through both buybacks and the dividends. So we're very happy to have this as our mainstay of our managed care exposure. I'm sure that you are. Coming up, Pete. With the unusual activity I mentioned, we'll do that next. Plus, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and we're spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our own colleagues. Here is Outreach CEO Manny Medina. Reach out to other people who are doing really, really well and ask them for advice. And be ready to be rejected. Deal well with that rejection because a rejection doesn't mean no. It just means not now. And it always means that you can do this later. But this ability to build your network and rely on other people and learn from each other and grow your network and bring other Latinos into it will eventually make you a better leader and will make you more successful. All right, it's that time. Unusual activity is here. Pete, what do you have? You know, we talk about Lulu, we talk about Nike, we talk about a lot of these names. How about Skechers, Scott? This is a stock that oftentimes just gets kicked to the side, but today it's not getting kicked to the side. Stock was trading uh, earlier today, and we had a huge buyer walk at 10,000 of the November 49 calls. They were going for about a dollar. They actually hedged these. They were selling the 55 calls against them, but the main trade is these 49 calls. Buying a little bit of time as well, 10,000 of these for Skechers. So that was a nice-looking trade. I'm in this trade, and I'm expecting this to make a pretty nice move. It was trading in the 43-44 range before that. Pins is my next one, Pinterest. So that's pretty interesting at 52 and a half. What I like about this one, Scott, is they bought 12,000 of next week's expiring 55 calls. Stock's 52 and a half. These are the 55 calls. They're only going for 24 cents up to about 50 cents for these options. So inexpensive opportunity for the upside if this stock can get up and run. I got a quick update for you as well. MGM was last Friday. We talked about this. Stock was trading about 45. They were buying the 44 strike calls, and then they kept coming back and coming back and coming back. Well, today that stock is all the way up and it's been trading above that 48 level. So MGM just continues to be the outperformer versus Las Vegas Sands and win. And it just continues. And that option activity was very, very telling about the direction of where they were going. And it continued to see this in the money call buying in MGM. It's a very, very aggressive buyer that just continues time after time after time coming back to that name. I expect this stock to go to the upside even further. I have trimmed some off already. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, Pete. Ask Halftime is next. Send your questions in by video. We'll play it on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. All right, it's time for Ask Halftime. Let's take a listen to a video question for the entire committee. Hi, everyone. Love the show. I just had my first grandson, and I want to start a stock portfolio for him. I'm torn between Pfizer and Alcoa stock. Would you rather Pfizer or Alcoa? Thanks for the information. Val from Pennsylvania. All right. Congrats to you. Thanks for the question as well. Pete, what's the answer? You know, I honestly love both of these. I think Alcoa particularly right now does stand out because it's so much in the material space going forward. But I think if you're going long term and that sounds like very long term, I think Pfizer, it's been stable. It gives you a great dividend yield. You can sell options against it. And you, you're looking at a very quality company with a great uh, balance sheet. I think this is the stock to own going forward. Uh, if you're going to pick one or the other, I think Pfizer, I think, is the more comfortable one to pick at this point in time. OK, what about you, Shannon? 
So apart from a diversified portfolio, which we would always recommend, um, I think a stock like Disney, it allows, you know, as your grandson gets older to be able to talk through, you know, how companies make money in a way that can relate to them and it facilitates better financial conversations. Okay. Josh Brown? I might be missing something. I don't really understand the like why Pfizer or Alcoa. Why are those the choices? That's like, what would you rather get for Christmas, a guitar or an octopus? Like, I don't, I don't really see what we're comparing. <laughs> I would always listen. Eighty uh, percent of every company that's ever existed in the history of the U.S. stock market has disappeared. So, for your grandson, your newly born grandson, I would always say do an index. And I like the QQEW. This equal weights, the NASDAQ 100, mm-hmm. arguably the most dynamic, exciting companies in the world. I would do that instead of picking one stock or another. All right, Farmer Jim? Yeah, I'd like an octopus for Christmas. But more importantly, I like what uh, Shannon said. She Done your it. way. You know, <laughs> this is for a long-term investment, <laughs> long-term time horizon. I'd like Pfizer, but I'd like something that uh, the grandson is going gonna, is gonna to identify with, like Apple or Google. And Val, congratulations on your first grandson. That's terrific. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, guys. We'll do final, yep. trades, final trades next. All right, we're going to do final trades in just a minute, though. Pete, let me just hit you with a Dr. Horton. Uh, the reason being, it was reiterated top pick today at J.P. Morgan, along with Pulte and Lennar in the home builder space. You own uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. You own the stock, which is rare. You don't, you know, you you don't yep. own that many stocks. Um, what do you right. think about this call? I mean, they do cut the price target, Pete, to one fifteen yeah. yeah. from one twenty nine. It's right now at eighty six and change. Right. And others have cut the, the price target as well, but still like the industry. And I think they like names like D.R. Horton. Obviously, David Tepper helps out that he has a position in here as well. But I think when you look at interest rates and you look at September, Scott, and you look at what the 10-year did in September, that explosive move to the upside, that just sort of shook things up a little for a, a little bit. But I still think interest rates are very low. I think going forward, this is a company that, given their balance sheet and given the success that they've had in the past, I think this is a company that will get up and over 100 bucks and not too too terribly long. Yeah, Pulte, they, um, all of these are reiterated overweights. DR, uh, DHI, Pulte, Lennar. The Pulte, they also lower the price target to 71 from 81. Lennar, the price target goes to 127 from 143. So it's an interesting and bullish note, yep. but a pull down in, in a few of the price targets here. All right, let's do final trades now. Josh Brown, you are up first. Can we just talk about Shaq? Because tomorrow is a very important day. They're rolling out the black truffle burger, which is a Gruyere cheeseburger, real black truffle sauce, crispy shallots on a toasted potato bun. This will be like unlike anything that exists out there nationwide tomorrow, not just L.A. and New York. Are you on tomorrow? I was supposed to get a COVID booster shot tomorrow. I'm canceling my appointment for this, okay? I roll the dice. You, you will call in and tell us how it is. I, I want to eat that, too. That sounds delicious. Uh, Shan. Uh, I don't know how I follow that. Sorry. Um, let's talk about Schwab. Quick. Uh, so time. they continue. TD, Schwab, coming together. There's been some issues. There's a huge opportunity here to get in before they really take off again. Okay. Farmer Jim. Pete's going to hear an echo from his fast money call last night. Kinder Morgan, still a lot of room to run, 6% dividend yield. All right, Pete. 
TJ Maxx, I think it's going higher, TJX. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the burger, Josh. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.